0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Hope you're having a great day. And here I go. Ready? I know you know what I'm going to say. Special shout out to Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko. You know I love you. Can't miss one show without reminding everyone about Justin Dart. Well, thank you, Highmark, for being the lead sponsor of this show. What a great company Highmark is. It is because of Highmark that Bender Consulting Services was actually started. They stood behind me in 1995, and now here we are today. And, hey, Ireland, what is going on in Ireland? We have so many listeners in Ireland, and thank you so much. Keep spreading the news, keep telling other people, but I really appreciate your support. So, I'm very excited today, and that is because I love it when we have anyone on the show from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my hometown, Best city in America. And we have three people on that are going to talk about what has happened in Western Pennsylvania. And they are all about disability rights first we will have john tag the chair of the pennsylvania transportation alliance and matteris the director of the cure i never say it right how about this chief historian and director at western pennsylvania sports museum and mary hartley from western pennsylvania disability history and action consortium hey everyone welcome to the show
2: Great.
3: Thank you. Yeah, thank you, you, uh, Joyce.
1: So I think I'm going to start with uh, John, and then we'll move on to Mary and then Anne. So, uh, John, what I want to know from each of you is how you first became involved in the disability community, and not just that, but like why are you an advocate? There are many people with disabilities, but not everyone is an advocate like the three of you. So starting with you, John, what's the answer to those questions?
3: Well, uh, first, uh, Joyce, I became involved in the disability movement over 40 years ago when I was part of an organization that believed in leadership development through community service. Uh, I was involved in a number of projects, uh, local projects that we did at that time involving uh, Woodville State Hospital and Mayview State Hospital, which are both closed now. And the reason I got involved in advocacy is simply... There was a need, and I, and I wanted to fill that need. That was one of the things I'd learned over the years that a lot of people talk about uh, advocacy, but I wanted to actually do it and to, and to live that uh, that independent life which is part of advocacy.
1: Well, and thank goodness that you did. Um, and how about you, Mary? So uh,
2: I'm a I'm a parent. I have now an 18 year old son on the autism spectrum, but I became involved in advocacy as a, a member of the local task force on the right to education, so special education um, task force within the Pittsburgh Public Schools. When my son was still in kindergarten, um, I I really saw very very quickly that a lot of families were having the same, individuals and families were having the same exact problems over and over again, that even though I might fix it or my friend who's in the room might fix it, it was continually happening. So I became really interested in the kind of advocacy that can fix long-term problems, what we call systemic advocacy, and really had to sort of break through the, the barriers that people were facing.
1: And many there are and were and still are today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And how about you, Ann? Well, I was introduced to Mary, actually, and
4: um, a uh, another advocate from the Pittsburgh community, Nancy Murray, by a colleague. And they talked to me about an uh, institution in western Pennsylvania um, that had a collection related to this story, And I recognize that our museum, the Heinz History Center, um, while it had some um, materials related to the history of disability in this region, um, it was an area where we were really lacking. And I truly feel that this is kind of the last uh, frontier for um, civil rights and um, advocates of equality in our society. Um, And I felt that it was incumbent that our institution begin to reach out Um, to work with this community and to really document this story. Um, uh, So, you know, I think from history, the the lesson of history is we don't want to repeat the mistakes of the past. So by having this collection, having this information, having this relationship with people in the community, um, we could begin to teach our visitors about um, the important role that this region has played um, in this history uh, but also the real lived experiences of people with disabilities. Uh, and we can preserve that story for the future, so we hopefully don't make those same mistakes.
1: What, what all do you have there uh, in your display? Um, really, right now, we've been
4: working through the consortium to uh, build a collection. So we have materials from the Polk Center in Venango County, so we have actual objects. Um, from the Polk Center, uh, people who actually lived there, so the clothes that they made, you know, they were a self-sustaining community in many ways. So um, objects that document um, the kind of testing and treatment of people with disabilities, but also objects that document the daily life in that institution. So everything from band uniforms to agricultural implements um, to the actual gravestones that had numbers and not names um, from the cemetery there. Um, And we have some archival and film collections that are related to both institutions and individuals in the larger community who have been um, involved in either the treatment or um, in the kind of call for action to change um, conditions in these institutions and in the community through the years.
1: Now, you were saying you're putting this together. Is this any of this on display right now? Um, We have done
4: some um, day-long displays for uh, programs that are here, but we really have focused on building the collection, and we're just beginning now to share it through programs, through publications, um, through virtual collections online, and also in our exhibitions here at the History Center.
1: I think that is so exciting, and I applaud you for doing that. I really think that is awesome that you're doing that. That That is great. Um, well, John, can you explain to our listeners what the Western Pennsylvania Disability History and Action Consortium is?
3: Well, uh, to me, uh, uh, Joyce, history is about telling a story. The Western Pennsylvania Disability History and Action Consortium wants to tell the story of the disability movement in Western PA. We added the word action to the name because we felt that we might might need to be able to take action to prevent a return to the past, to prevent history from repeating itself. In other words, we didn't want to return to institutional care, which is, by the way, started out as a good idea but the, because of inhumane conditions and practices, quickly became a very bad idea. You can't start to tell the story without locating the uh, repositories of our story, including archives and artifacts. You know, the, the consortium started uh, an online survey to find out where folks had in their basements and attics that were able to help tell that story. One of our projects is the, to interview folks that lived, worked, or had family members in an institution so that they can share their, their stories. So it's important that we the consortium wants to preserve, share, and educate and advocate uh, for the rights of people with disabilities.
1: You know what? I mean, that, though, is so awesome. W- which part did you mean, though, became a bad idea? What did you mean? Well,
3: I, I think initially people felt that uh, putting people in a congregate setting would be helpful. It would, they'd be able to serve more people and provide uh, the service that they needed to uh, to, to, uh uh, to live live productive lives but what was determined because of uh, the uh, amount of people in institutions the lack of staffing it became a, a really a inhumane uh, way of dealing with this so um, a number of people over the years started to want to move people out of institutions in, into the community kind of the independent living philosophy that people can do better when they have supports in the community as opposed to to an institution where they were uh, a lot of times treated very badly. And, uh, I mean, we have stories about how well badly they were treated. So, I mean, that was the impetus before. Now, there was a lot of good intentioned people came up with an idea, but it turned out, as they said, to be a bad idea.
1: Yeah, right, right. Um, Anne, when you were talking about the daily you know, the display, do you think maybe over uh, either ADA week or in October, do do you think at some date you'll be doing that again where you'll have that display?
4: Well, I'm hoping that, um, and we just had a meeting yesterday where we began to talk about this, that we're going to begin to integrate some of these stories into existing exhibits that we have where they uh, make sense. So for instance, we have an exhibit that looks at the history of innovation in western Pennsylvania. Well, it's time that we start um, integrating the stories of innovators in um, disability advocacy or in equipment for those with disabilities that come from this region. And we've begun to collect some of those types of materials. Um, It just makes sense that those materials go into our long-term exhibits. So that will probably be the first step. That the, we start to bring some of those materials out in the exhibits <coughs> we're doing. And then the group has discussed, um, as a goal for the future, potentially developing an exhibit that deals with this history and this story.
1: Well, that is awesome. And you know what? I do want to make a comment. Um, every year in October, for Disability Mentoring Day, we have a VIP kickoff at the Heinz History Center. This is for high school students with disabilities. And I just want to tell you, it is fantastic. Um, and, you know, if you haven't been to the Heinz History Center and you're in Western PA or anywhere, for that matter, uh, you're missing out because it is just really incredibly awesome when you go there. And I just wanted to uh, tell you, Ann, how much I appreciate all your support.
4: Uh, well, it's, you know, we've been lucky to have great partners in the community um, who have brought this story to us and continue, that we continue to work with uh, through the consortium and through programs like that. So we're really one the ones that are um, lucky to have these relationships um, that bring people in the door that bring that story and bring that history with them. Um, so uh, we appreciate the plug for the History Center. But Thank we also you. also appreciate the good people in the community that we have the opportunity to work with.
1: Yes. Well, you know what? We're going to get ready to go to break, uh, and then we'll be right back with John, Ann, and Mary. If you just joined us today, we're talking about disability history in western Pennsylvania, and as John said, without history, we will make those same mistakes again. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Since
2: 1985... High test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com.
0: Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Podstars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but i dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Podstars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash
2: VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender.
1: Hey, welcome back. And if you just tuned in, we are talking today to John from the Pennsylvania Transportation Alliance and from the Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum and Mary Hartley. I mean, let me tell you, this woman... All of them do so much. But it seems like any time there's anything about disability in Pittsburgh, I see Mary Hartley, who is just truly a real advocate. So although I just made some comments here, Mary, I wanted to ask you and John why you think this history is so important, you know, why you became so passionate about this so
2: I had a really interesting experience. I started, um, as I said, I would started out in systemic advocacy and was a volunteer, and then I ended up working in access to health care, and then went to work for a project at United Way uh, called Twenty One and Able, which is about you've had some folks from there on this show um, about transition to adulthood um, for for students with disabilities and. My first, very first day there, um, Bob Nelkin, who's the president of the United Way of southwestern Pennsylvania that that heads that initiative, uh, stopped me in the hallway and said, I've got to tell you about these boxes of papers I have in my basement. And he started to enlighten me about the the story of institutional care in Pennsylvania. Um, We ended up very, very quickly moving toward Um, developing an an education and advocacy event that would honor the parents who helped to change Western Pennsylvania um, so it could be a community-based system. And in that conversation um, and and learning about this and reading about this and becoming sort of, you know, coming from the frame where my son was going to get every community advocate you know, opportunity he could um, to understanding that that wasn't the case for parents, um, you know, just a mere 40 years before. And, um, And it really, really woke me up to what this history was. And it really sort of kicked off, I think, Western Pennsylvania's discussion about how to preserve this material. Um, how to get these stories, because people were dying who could be telling them, and we were missing them. So um, so that's where my passion really came from, is sort of seeing, seeing my family in the lives of folks who went through this, and seeing my son, um, who has so many opportunities today as a result of this tremendous work that, that folks did before
1: yeah and that makes total sense it really does I know Bob at United Way he's been so involved with so many things you know in the history of change uh, especially at the institutions it's just sometimes such harrowing stories so I can see why he would have uh, all of that information how about you John what do you think
3: well uh History, as you know, teaches a lesson about our responsibility to each other as human beings. You know, what is troubling to me is our public discourse and things like bullying and an increase in the amount of hate crimes. Some of that is directed towards people with disabilities. My hope is that we can use the lessons of the past to return to a more civil conversation and more humane treatment of each other. So that's what really is the, to me, is the important part of history.
1: Right, and you know what? What surprises me is when I talk to people and tell them, you know, about how it was right here and not that long ago, and they like are so shocked. Now, as you all know, I travel um, in behalf of the U.S. State Department. And have since the Obama administration to different countries in the world that request that I go and, you know, talk about disability employment. So I go with the embassy and I meet with all these groups and it really is so impactful to me, um, not just to them. And, you know, when I go to someone, I think, oh, my God, this is like where we were. You know, it's so terrible what happens, for example, to people um, with intellectual disabilities or mental health issues. But, you know, like in Asia, there's such perversive shame. But they are 50 years, you know, behind us. But I'm telling you, when when you hear the stories right here of what happened, you know, it's really not that long ago. Um, And Mary, that brings me to you. I wanted you to talk about the documentary From Wrongs to Rights and then you just heard what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, After you talk about it, I'd like to know how much project progress you think we've made.
2: Yeah, so um, last week, uh, May 31st, um, we had an event, the Western Pennsylvania Disability History and Action Consortium had an event and um, we had... We had uh, Michael Gamel McCormick from Senator Casey's office speak um, about the history and contemporary um, issues that are going on as we as we speak on the, on the federal level, um, and and then a panel, pretty rich panel of interesting um, people who are working on different aspects of ADA and Medicaid, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And Medicaid, and in in the preview leading up to that, we showed three films, and one of them was this um, film, this documentary called "Wrongs to Rights." It's very short; it's about eight minutes, um, and it was produced by the Temple uh, University Institute on Disabilities, um, and really um, is something that that the Western Pennsylvania uh, Consortium has on their website. Um, we. We started to collect this information that I told you about that Bob Nelkin came to me and you know said we have, and we ended up um, working with Heinz History Center and University of Pitt graduate students to archive all these materials. And in the course of doing that, we really talked about the fact that we have a story here, a really rich and interesting story about these parents um, who became tremendous advocates, many of whom were fighting to make sure that their own kids went to school with everyone else. Um, They didn't want, you know, there was no school at that time. Um, And the real only option parents were given when a child was born with obvious Down syndrome or significant physical disability was they would be told that they should bring their child to this institution, to a segregated place, that there were no schools, there was nothing in, in the infrastructure for them, and they were sort of told to leave their child behind, in essence, you know, leave, break it off, and then come back, say, in a month, and you can meet them in the day room for visits. Um, this challenge for these families was so dramatic. And so Bob Nelkin, again, was the um, staff, the young staff person at the Ark of, of Allegheny, which is now the Ark of Greater Pittsburgh, um, part of Achiva. And he told this story about driving, you know, 10 or more parents, including one Ginny Thornburg, who became the first lady of Pennsylvania, the wife of Governor Dick Thornburg, um, across Pennsylvania to wherever anyone from Allegheny County was living in an institution. And they did that um, documenting what they saw. They, they literally did surprise visits and, and they did, they did inspections and they went and just assessed the, the environment. Um, and this is where they really started to see what they saw. It wasn't just Polk. It was all over the state. Um, there are stories of them being in mountaintop Pennsylvania and sending, um, telegrams to the secretary of the department of then was called public welfare, um, Demanding that they immediately come now and see what they're seeing, or they're not going to leave. They're going to call the press, um, and this advocacy was so much more. It was press. It was it was it was it was education. It was publication, um, and eventually led to changes in the total system, um, along with the work of the Pennhurst case. But but this was sort of a whole leading up to that where they they went into all of these different institutions across Pennsylvania, and we have these documents on our website for people to look at and to see some of the exhibits that really highlight um what these families did that was so incredibly important. Um, what John said earlier, you know was very interesting, and I just want to highlight the fact that that you know. I think that there was probably a time when these places looked okay, um, and then budget cuts and challenges happened, and, and, but also the potential for people to live in a community that, again, John, to John's point, you know, the, the independent living movement was taking off, and we had we'd learned so much about civil rights through the, through the struggles of African Americans black people who are black in America, people of color, that we learned what we needed to do, I think, to make sure that people could be free and make their own choices. And so the whole culture and experience was changing for people. And I think I'm forgetting the second part of your question, Joy. <laughs> I
1: hope I didn't go over. It. When you're talking about, you know, what happened in the past, how much progress do you think we have made, like those terrible examples you just gave about what was going on at these institutions? How much progress do you think we've made? I want to sort of highlight
2: the the fact that part of the reason why we need this education process, it, it's for the general public, yes, but it's also for young parents because they don't even know about this. I, As I said, I didn't even know about this, and I don't consider myself a young parent, um, we have enjoyed, you know, my, my son today uh, will, will advocate strongly that his accommodations are not being met. You know, he knows what the ADA is. He knows how to take care of himself. And, and that's something that he's grown up with. Um, so, so the whole experience, like you were talking about traveling in, in Asia, you know, you, your experience is completely different today. Um, most I about ten years ago I asked um, some dental students at a big university in Philadelphia how many of them went to school with kids with disabilities, so students with disabilities, and not one hand went up. And I just did the same asked the same question to a group of medical students at Pitt and almost everybody's hand went up. <clears throat> and to me, that's huge sea change. And on top of that, you know, the work you're doing on employment, the work that we've been doing on employment. I mean, it's there's so much happening today where the expectation is not I will go into a segregated setting, but I, in fact, will go and work with my peers. I will work in the world. I will get the same wages as everybody else, if not better. Um, you know, I expect to be able to go to college and get the accommodations I need. I think that we're in such a different place. Um but we always have to sort of maintain a balance of understanding how we got here, um, that our civil rights could be at risk. Um, we see this, you know, daily, um, right now, and it's a little frightening. Um, I think that we're in a place where we want to make sure that what we have stays and it actually improves because, um, there's still so much to do as you know, and I know your listeners know. Um, I think overall though, we are, we're starting in a good place. I think a lot more people um, don't know this history, in some ways, and maybe nev- hopefully never will, as long as you know funding and resources stay in place to make sure we can move forward.
1: Right, I agree with you. Um, although, in some areas of the United States and in rural areas and some places in the South, sadly, we have to keep this fight going. Uh, to see the rapid change we've had here. And that's why I think everything you're talking about is so important. Um, And, you know, every show on the half hour, we have our news update, Advocacy Matters, to keep everyone listening to the show, you know, really knowing what is going on in the world of disability, and I know Mary, you know this person, well, you probably all know this person, because she is (laughs) so awesome, Um, but she is the CEO of the Pennsylvania Disability Rights Network, Perry Jude Radisick. how are you today?
0: Uh, I'm doing uh, great, uh, Joyce, and thank you for having this program, Uh, it's so important to talk about history and where we've been, where we're going, and what Western Pennsylvania is doing to preserve it. So thank you for having the show. Absolutely. So Joyce, today, uh, the somber topic, uh, we've had a lot of articles written about the suicide deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. And even in some of our local papers, we have noticed the deaths of some local celebrities. may have died in the last week but the papers may have not listed the cause of death but through friends we may have known that the death was due to suicide calls to our crisis lines have increased since last week there was an article in uh, a Salt Lake City newspaper in Utah calls to the Utah's largest suicide prevention program Jumped 30 to 40 percent just in the last week. Calls to the national suicide hotline jumped 25 percent within two days of the death of Kate Spade. Wow. So I guess we have to, yeah, right. So we have to ask ourselves, what can we do in the advocacy community? So I, I think there are three things. First, we have to continue to press for increased funding for community mental health services. At least we know in Pennsylvania, community health, mental health services have been on the decrease. So this may be the case in other states as well, So we have to continue to press here in Pennsylvania and in Congress for increased funding for community mental health services. We just released a link uh, on our webpage, and we'll have it up on our Advocacy Matters webpage here by the end of the day or uh, at the latest tomorrow morning, where listeners to your radio show can uh, send a quick letter to their members of Congress asking Congress to increase community-based mental health services in the fiscal year FY19 budget. Congress is working on that now. So I think, first, we have to continue to press for increases in community mental health services. Second, we cannot lose some of the gains that we have made under the Affordable Care Act. Right now, we still have mental health parity and health insurance, but we cannot return to discrimination and coverage. And by that, I mean a time when insurance companies could discriminate on pre-existing conditions. So we have to keep a close watch on that so that we don't return to a time when insurance companies could say, hey, we're not going to cover you for a certain period of time or at all because you've come into our program with a pre-existing condition. And finally, we've got to end the stigma that still exists around mental illness. According to Mental Health America, one in five adults has a mental health condition, yet many of our friends, family, and coworkers do not know that we live with a hidden disability. So advocacy matters, and we must press for an increase in funding for community-based services for persons with mental illness. We must continue to ensure parity for insurance coverage for mental and behavioral health needs, and we have to continue to reduce the stigma and discrimination associated with mental illness. So thanks for letting us talk about this today, Joyce. We really
1: appreciate it. You know what, Perry Jude, I'm really glad you talked about this, because CDC was talking about young boys at a certain age that this has become, sadly, a national epidemic and one of the leading causes of death. And You know, if you cannot get access to medication, this is a leading cause of what can happen to you in the future. I mean, you are so right, Barry. G. You are so right on. Uh, You know, we really need to be advocates, you know, for people with mental health issues. And may I tell you, sadly... When you were talking about stigma, as you all know, I'm in employment, you know, I own Bender Consulting Services, and since 1995, I have been on a crusade for the employment of people with disabilities in competitive areas. May I tell you, people with psychiatric disabilities have absolutely the most terrible time gaining employment, especially... With the comments after a shooting, I mean, it is really, really terrible. And that is why, by the way, so many people that work for companies would never uh, disclose. But I do think this is really important. And you were saying, uh, Perry Jude, what is your website? It's uh, Disability Rights. P-A dot O-R-G.
0: and we will have a number of resources up related to today's Advocacy Matters topic, uh, if not later today, first thing tomorrow morning.
1: Again, okay, I hope everyone checks that out, and you know what I always say, you can't help people without financial resources, so please uh, consider making a contribution today one more time. That website, Perry, Jude? Yes, thank you, Joyce. It's disabilityrightspa.org. Okay, listen, thank you for calling in, and stay tuned. Again, every show for Advocacy Matters. Thank you, Perry Jude. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good rest of the show. Well, that is sad, but that is sad. Uh, I mean, we really have to fight the fight about this. And, you know, uh, guys, what do you think? Mary, what do you think about that? Oh, it's just its
2: devastating. Um, but I think that, you know, the writing's on the wall. We're really, we're, I think this is a, a great opportunity for education. Um, I, I do hope people will get help. But it is so challenging to find psychiatrists. You know, there's a lot of there are a lot of issues here um, and to unpack. So, my hope is that um, this gets a lot of attention and we can really do something um, in the advocacy world to to make things
1: change. John and Ann, what do you think?
3: Well, one of the things that uh, is happening now that we're all familiar with is the opioid. Uh, epidemic. And that's putting a strain on the existing system. Uh, so we need to be able to advocate for more money to deal with the opioid crisis. But on top of that, we have to also advocate for more money for mental health services. So Perry Jude is absolutely correct on that. And uh, our work is cut out for us. But to be honest with you, I think we have the resolve. And that's what it goes back to uh, advocacy is having that resolve.
1: Right. Ann, what
4: I do you say? I think one of the most positive things that we've seen in the last uh, six months to a year is um, a new generation coming to the fore and really taking a stand, um, involving themselves in the political world, involving themselves in advocacy. So for me to see high school students and teenagers um, mm-hmm. rallying around the issue, obviously, of school shootings, but also the issue of mental health services, um, I think is a real positive to see those, um, that generation um, come to activism and come to advocacy um, is something that gives you hope for the future. Um, so I think yeah. that is a positive trend that we're seeing in society. And it's a shame that these are the issues um, that our youth are facing head on, but it's a positive to see them actually involving themselves um, in the conversation in a very active way.
1: Yes, Yes, I agree. I do. I agree with you. Um, so listen, here's the deal. Okay, you can mention many, many presidents, political leaders, civil rights leaders, and everyone knows who that is. But start talking on the street about who is Justin Dart, who is Judy Human, who is Ed Roberts, and it's like I don't know who is that. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So a question that I have is, do you have? any ideas about what we could do to get our own history in the schools john
3: first of all that's a good question i think first of all you have to at least require a course in disability history not not an elective but a a required course and uh, that means that the students would be required to take it uh, to be able to graduate and on top of that, then we need to continue to advocate with school districts and uh, the Department of Education to make sure that they have programs during the year that highlight disability. That's how, one of the ways we tell young folks our story and how they will know who uh, Justin Dart is and Judy Human is, basically by uh, having this type of program in the schools for, for them to uh, be required to take.
1: Right. Mary, do you have any comments about that?
2: Yeah, I think there's been some effort in Pennsylvania around this, and and I'm anxious to sort of see what, what comes out of that. But it was really um, young advocates um, teaching students, um, doing seminars and, and opportunities. And I would love to see more like that, but I also think it has to be part of the regular cultural conversation you know, we need we need more social media, more communications that that are appealing to, to students where they are. And I do think that students are way more aware of people with disabilities in their communities and and the abilities and skills and, and um, opportunities that are out there. Um, but but there's so much more to do, and it it, it I think Justin Dart should be taught right alongside. Many, many other people in our community um, we we have Judy human right now who can be coming around Pennsylvania and educating people about who she is and it's just so wonderful to have um, individuals who can who can get out there and 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 do those live presentations as well
1: right, hey, Mary, while I have you on here, um, what about? work experience for high school students with disabilities.
2: Yeah, so this is a bill that um, passed into law. Um, it's known as also Act 26. It passed into law in 2016. Um, and it was really a response. It was a work that came out of, again, the United Way of Southwestern Pennsylvania's 21 and ABLE initiative and began a project called Hashtag I Want to Work. I think you've had Josie Badger on here before. Um, but five uh, young millennial professionals working across Pennsylvania um, to educate, you know, the general public, but also legislators about the challenges for students who were trying to work. So just like any high school student wants to work, um, you know, when they're in high school to get a job, or, you know, a little job on the side, weekends, nights, um, that kind of thing after school, students with disabilities at that time um, were unable to access OVR services until their last semester of school. And I know most people on this radio show know OVR stands for Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Um, and what we did is took the lead from the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act um, and uh, that President Obama signed into law, and we really tried to use the energy behind that to ensure that high school students with disabilities could have these work experiences during high school. So paid work experience. We know that students who work before they leave high school are 2.5 times more likely to work after high school. Um, And so this group helped to sort of move the needle, get advocates across the state to educate their legislators on this issue and it passed unanimously into law. So, So now that high school students can get those services now, um, but, you know, speaking of making history, I think today's the day. Um, we're, we're fairly, we're going to see um, the second bill of hashtag I want to work um, voted out, oh, hopefully, of this on the Senate floor. Um, House Bill 1641, which is the Employment First Bill. And um, that's uh, Representatives Cutler and Miller and um, Senator Mensch. Um, and hopefully that bill will transform the way employment is um, supported in Pennsylvania for all people with disabilities. So we're really excited about that. Hopefully that's going to happen today.
1: Awesome. Well, I would hope that does happen. That is great. Well, hey, I I wanted to ask you a question. John, I'll start with you. Um, Could you share what role you believe we, we in Western Pennsylvania, can play in moving forward disability rights?
3: Well, Western Pennsylvania has already played a significant role in disability rights, but to Mary's point, there's a tremendous amount of leadership out here, so we're going to remain committed to advocating for employment, uh, not just for youth, but employment for people with disabilities, uh, affordable, accessible housing, and also for affordable, accessible transportation. So I think we need to continue our advocacy work, the work that we've built up over the years.
1: How about you, Mary and Ann? Oh, I, I
2: completely ditto um, what John just said. I think, I think we, we also have kind of a unique community of advocates because we work really well together um and and the the vision and the ideas, some of these these conversations that we're having even just talking about the history is bubbling up new ideas we talked about mental health earlier um you know several mental health advocates came up and had a huge amazing conversation after this May event um you know how can we how can we continue to um individuals can self advocate and talk about their experiences and more platforms and opportunities to talk about the history of mental health, where we're going. Um, so all of these issues, these daily life issues, are continuing to be important. Um, but we have businesses engaged and all kinds of, you know, as, jo- as Joyce well knows, we have all kinds of other leaders involved in this conversation now, and it's not just disability advocates. And I think that's where the real win is going to happen, is when we engage this in the general public.
1: Me too. I agree with you. I agree with you. One, Anne, how about you?
4: Well, the History Center's mission is really to um, share the past so that people can make good decisions in the present and the future. Um, so I think when it comes to this issue, um, you know, we want to preserve and share those stories in the past, but we want to use it in a forward-thinking way. So we are um, training and schooling individuals to um, be aware of this history and to use it um, to make the best possible decisions for the future for their community um, and for their society. Um, So I think that's the role that museums can play um, in this, is becoming a place um, both of education um, but also a place that um, teaches our students and our school groups about um, how they can become agents of change themselves, um, and they can be involved in whatever issues move them um, to make uh, to contribute, you know, to our democracy and to make um, their community a better place.
1: And that is what it is all about, isn't it? Well, Mary and John and Anne, you can all comment on this. If you had to say, like, over the past few years, what would you say is the greatest accomplishment with this project? Mary, I'll start with you.
2: I, I think ultimately it's the, it's the beginning of really um, pointing people in a direction where they can start to share their stories. Um, we are, we are really. We've developed a. There's a very strong thread through the entire project. John has done an excellent job uh, shepherding this to where it is right now. Um, the website is rich. It's got great resources on it. You can sort of dive in and look at resources, but you can also add your resources. So you can contact us and make sure that you we're getting your stories and the collections that you have um we've also got some terrific media pieces we have, we send out a, a newsletter monthly and social media so lots of activity action and connection and that's really where we want to go we want to increase the community um com- communications for everybody so that they're aware of what it is we're doing and sort of how we got where we are and and what, and what we want to do to move forward so that's really exciting
1: you know what wow This show, it was so awesome that we're soon coming to the end. So, John, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today?
3: Never give up. Never give up. And continue to advocate as if your life depends on it, because it does.
1: Oh, amen to that. How about you, Mary? (laughs) Oh, that's great.
2: I want to leave everybody with our website. Can I do that? Yes. (laughs) So um, it's WPDHAC.org. So that's Western Pennsylvania Disability History and Action Consortium. I think if you put in Western Pennsylvania History, it'll pop up.
1: You know, could you give that one more time, Mary?
2: Yes. wpdhac.org dot org. And
1: I've been there, and it's awesome. It is. How about you, Ann? What message would you like to leave with our listeners today?
4: Uh, That individuals working together can make a real difference. Um, And I think that's what um, the consortium represents. A lot of individuals from different uh, places in the community have come together to see this history preserved. Um, And really, once it's here at the History Center... Um, you know, we've been around since 1879. We are planning to be around for a long time in the future, so we're going to keep on um, sharing this. We can't imagine the ways um, that it can affect people's lives in the future. Uh, so, um, you know, make a difference.
1: Well, I first I want to thank each of you for the great work you're doing. I mean, I mean it. You're really putting your heart and soul in it. So thank you. Thank you so much, each of you. And thank you for being on the show.
3: Well, thank you, George, for you. having us.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. Um, so, okay. Well, we end every show with a quote. And today, John talked about it a little bit. It has to be. Justin Dart, right? Lead on. And I say to the three of you, lead on. That's the end of this show. Remember, go to our website, vendorconsult.com or voiceamerica.com or just get the podcast and tell everyone you know about this show because they can go on and hear it.